Well, good afternoon and welcome to the program. We're going to dive right into it. It's time for our monthly check-in. First day of the month, but it is the first Thursday of the month. So Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder is here with us. And we do still, even though we were talking off air, Mayor, that uh, it seems like it's been a, a, a quiet couple of weeks with the city council. Still a lot to talk about. So let's jump right into it. I, I want to ask you about uh, something. There was a, a, a public meeting on this uh, last night related to the 3rd Street Corridor when eventually we get railroad relocation complete and we move those trains away from 3rd Street onto the 10th Street tracks. We're going to have uh, a big, long area that can be turned into something. Now, uh, do you have particular preferences or thoughts on what you want to see done with that 3rd Street Corridor? Well, actually, it's uh, tonight at Bank of Springfield Oh, Center. it is, it yep, is the evening. I'm to, sorry. You're right. Yes. Yep. Well, actually, now 4 to 7. Yeah. And so people can weigh in. Um, there's going to be storyboards up there, or, you know, just boards that uh, show different sections. But uh, I always thought it'd be good to, well, one, it's going to be a pedestrian pathway, you know, bike bike and walkway and uh, make it accessible as much as possible that we've done with other rail corridors. But this one's unique where, you know, I, I view that it connects the Grand, South Grand with North Grand. I look at uh, Norfolk, Virginia or other communities that they might have a uh, solar transportation or, you know, kind of like a uh, bus or rail that people, or trolley, I should say, where people jump on and off. Solar, for, solar powered? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're coming out with that now. And so uh, that's what I'd like to see. So people wouldn't necessarily have to bring, bring their vehicle downtown. You'd have that connection where they can just jump on and off on that third street corridor if they do, suit you. Do you choose. think that would run the length of, of the town all the way through as far well, as you the... could just do a short stint because part of the, on the rail, of course, will be the uh, rail station Amtrak, which is currently Amtrak, but that'll be more of a historic marker. You know, be vacated and uh, for public use, and uh, so I think it uh, adds some uniqueness and um, you know uh, another amenity to that. But again, this is really the people's time to weigh in and you know give their thoughts on the forefront of what they'd like to see. But again, it, it will be a more of a pedestrian corridor, uh, and then there could be development. I think that's what you'll see as well. Is uh, you know right now when you're locating behind a rail track, it's, you know, noisy, things of that nature. But this is going to be more of a uh, calmer um, venue. So you might see some housing development, business development along that corridor. And it does stretch way past the Grand. You know, it goes up to the north a little bit further, but all the way to Stanford. And uh, so there's a nice stretch where it would connect up to a different path, uh, bike pathways. Uh, I saw uh, Senator Turner uh, had a press release out saying that she'd like to see some opportunities for commerce uh, along there as well. And you have also been a big advocate of uh, redoing the 4th Street Corridor, and, and some of that work is already underway with changing the, the traffic patterns there. Uh, do, do you see this all coming together in sort of a cohesive plan, 3rd Street, 4th Street, uh, and we have kind of a master plan uh, tying it all together? Well, now uh, we are in the midst right now of a uh, you know a consultant that's working towards a master plan with regards to downtown and the medical community, which is a larger footprint than Enos Park. But that will take a look at all the infrastructure. Um, so really, going back to the rail piece, that's kind of a natural setting that we've already done with uh, bikeways, things of that nature. So with the commerce part, uh, you know what happens is the private sector uh, really drives.
drives that initiative based on foot traffic, and that's why it's important to have it as accessible as possible. Uh, the 4th Street corridor, that's a one-way to two-way conversion that slows things down, and it would be um, a good partnership or integration of that area. So it will transform uh, just not downtown, but the uh, north end and then also the south end. I think it's really going to be a lot of future development, and um, uh, it's an exciting point in time. Uh, the the master plan, what's the timeline for completion of that? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, not off the top of my head because uh, what they're looking at is one is the housing that's on the forefront. Uh, what are our housing needs with the workforce, meaning uh, government workforce the way it is now? So really the timing of it is perfect because now you have some people that work remote. Will they be in um, you know, on a regular basis or not? And they can take that into consideration for downtown housing as well as the medical area housing uh, with the workforce there, you know, along with the city, uh, horseman and other entities that are located downtown and in the medical area. So that's the probably the number one priority for us. We do have infrastructure plans already in place, but uh, what they'll take a look at is how does that integrate with the uh, future projections of uh, population and things of that nature. Uh, we uh, talked a couple of weeks ago about the North Mansion Y block. The city had been hoping to get that uh, Main Street grant from the state. It did not come through. And so at the time you said there might be other grant opportunities, maybe a public-private partnership. All the things you're talking about here, whether it's a solar trolley or, or other development turning the, the tracks into uh, a walkway or hike and bike trail, that all takes money, too. Uh, are you still thinking maybe there's grants available to do something? of this or is it going to require private investment and do you think that the private investment will be there uh, to do some of these things that are, are pretty big changes for downtown and we don't really exactly know yet how well they'll be received yeah with the uh, rail corridor specifically there'll be uh grant funds available. Right now, we're at the perfect opportunity of window with regards to, you know, you have the ARPA, you have the uh, um, the Recovery Inflationary Act that was recently passed. Uh, there were funds available prior to that with infrastructure. So there's a lot of resources. And what the pandemic's taught all of us, the importance is outdoor space. So that lends right into it. But again, on the private sector side, uh, that's where the additional development will happen. And anytime you have the additional development, it does increase sales tax revenue for the city and property tax revenue for the city. And so uh, that really generates additional resources to move that direction. But with regards to the Y block, uh, there is a, another opportunity with tourism. Uh, there's a grant uh, due near the end of the month. I think it's uh, the 21st or 23rd. We will be applying for that to probably a smaller footprint uh, with regards to that. The good news is the Levitt Concert Series, uh, it's my understanding that they renewed for another three years. And so, um, you know, that uh, really shows the viability of that area that they'd like to take it to the next level. And we, we met with them, uh, you know, Kayla Graven of DSI really pushing that initiative. Uh, when we worked, uh, met with them, they wanted to see how's that going to be developed. And so they saw the footprint that we had. They really uh, were interested in that and the naming of the block and moving that direction. So uh, we are having uh, additional resources come to the forefront. Um, and then uh, we'll just keep at it and we will have private sector and public sector support with regards to the state of Illinois eventually, hopefully. Is that confirmed on Levitt Amp? I went to their website today and didn't see any announcement of the three-year grants. In fact, they talked about there's going to be a public voting period coming up uh, starting in mid-September.
September. So, uh, I mean, do we know for sure we're getting that that three three years? And that's what uh, how, how much money is that? that Thirty thousand a year, something like that? Is that? Yeah, you'd have to check with Kayla. You okay. know, that's my understanding of uh, initial conversations. But uh, maybe there's another part to codifying that. But uh, we are in the running. If not, if it hasn't been codified already, we definitely are in the forefront. Uh, and, and that's obviously a, a big deal. Again, mm-hmm. that's money to keep that going, and those are very popular weekly events there. But when you mentioned a, a smaller footprint pertaining to this tourism grant, because you had some pretty ambitious plans for this with an amphitheater uh, and maybe uh, you know an area for food trucks and things and maybe water features and things like that, how much smaller are we talking about? What's What would have to be uh, set aside uh, if you have to go with this smaller grant versus the initial uh, Main Street grant you were hoping for? Well, we would uh, still have the uh, larger version in play. What we would do is get the uh, entire site development ready. And then so what we don't want is the way it looks now for next year's concert series. So that's what we'd look at is possibly grading it. I did have a discussion with Massey Massey asking, uh, you know, here's what the next grant opportunity would be. Uh, If we could do a dollar for dollar match, what would that footprint look like? And so it would be a phased in approach to the master uh, project plan that was put forward initially. But again, uh, the end result uh, can always be modified, but you want to build up to that level. And that's what we want to do. And that's what Levitt actually wants to see is progression. uh, So they're just not throwing money after a stagnated area. So we want to show that we are uh, moving the uh, area forward in a productive manner, uh, not only with bringing people down there, but also with development of that site. Finally, one last note on that part of uh, downtown, as we talked again about the uh, the traffic patterns, and the mm-hmm. city council uh, has approved that effort to go ahead. So uh, how quickly do you expect we'll start to see the, the changes in play there and to see that conversion from one-way traffic on uh, 4th, and it's also parts of 7th and, and, and Adams and things, uh, and how uh, quickly to see that convert to two-way? Yeah, I think there's uh, initial parts that have to be done, like in October, November, moving that direction, but really you'll see the a uh, lot of the work conversion happening more like in the um, next year, probably in the springtime. Okay. Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder is here with us this afternoon. It's his monthly check-in. And, Mayor, we always appreciate the time you take out of your very busy day to sit with us and talk about some of these issues. Uh, something we talked about extensively last time you were here uh, and just uh, wanted to have you give us the update where we stand related to the Wyndham Project. Uh, a revamped uh, zoning request was put in, uh, again, modifying the breakdown of hotel rooms to apartments. But I know there was also a question question about whether the bank that holds the note on the Wyndham uh, was going to give the owner an extension. So just bring us up to speed. Where do we stand with that? Yeah, actually, uh, where it is right now, the um, the hold up from the owner to the developer, they both have to agree to move forward in this uh, fashion, and they have agreed to extend that time period. So uh, David Mitchell, his group, the Good Homes Company, I think it's called, uh, they filed a new plan, of a, uh, a project plan, which would have, uh, let me think, it was 275 um, apartment units, 125 hotel rooms. And just so everybody understands, there's uh, right now it's zoned for 200 apartments, 200 hotel rooms. So that goes before regional planning, I believe, on September 21st. And then, of course, the planning staff 
uh, Molly Burns, they'll weigh in on what their recommendation is, and then they'll take that to the commission, and then uh, from there, they'll make a recommendation to the city council. So it'll come before city council probably the third Tuesday of October. And, and so the uh, the current owner of the Wyndham, he's he's not from the, the city. He's an out-of-town owner uh, and had said at one point that if he couldn't get the zoning change approved, he would just turn the whole thing into government-subsidized apartments. But he's holding off on that, and he has the, the go-ahead of the bank to hold off on it uh, until there's some final decision on this. Right. He always said, well, you know, there's speculation that the bank would take it back, and he says uh, that's not going to happen. He has, uh, you know, he's the one that comes in when uh, projects are in receivership, and that's what he did on this project. And he had plans to upgrade it to, you know, retain it as a hotel and, um, you know, some apartments, but not the level that we're looking at or that's being considered now. Uh, but the pandemic hits, and, you know, of course, that just uh, was destructive to many hotels and moving that direction. The good news is we are rebounding with, um, you know, tourism, but you cannot uh, survive on conventions alone for this size of a hotel. It's like a big box store, big box hotel. And that's where the rub is in trying to find financing for a 400-unit hotel is very difficult in this day and age. Uh, real quickly, because we uh, just about uh, are at time for news here, uh, but we have talked in the past as well about uh, the Enos Park project and a request for the city to put up some more money mm-hmm. to uh, purchase uh, some of the uh, the properties there that the Homeowners Association, the Neighborhood Association, uh, it holds title to right now. Uh, and that's been stalled in committee for a while. Uh, are you anticipating any movement on that? Will that come out of committee anytime soon and make another attempt to get uh, automatic approval for that? Well, it will come out eventually. We'll ask for it to come out. Uh, when the timing of that is uh, remains to be seen. I know uh, Michelle Higginbotham's met with uh, the medical district um, because there is interest in keeping them together, those properties, uh, especially when we're looking at plans uh, for development, especially on the housing side. You want multiple properties. Uh, so that's still in play as well as the SSGA. So uh, it'll probably be, I would look at it maybe uh, later this month or possibly in October. And the Neighborhood Association has time for that? I thought we were getting kind of crunch time here because of taxes coming due on it today or tomorrow, I guess, is the uh, property tax payment deadline. So That's what I'll have to follow up on and uh, uh, circle back around to see what their timeline is. But, you know, if, if it's tomorrow, tomorrow's it, you know, so even if we're pulling it out next Tuesday, uh, it's still past that timeline. So I'm sure we'll have that discussion and have that discussion with the county because ultimately the county trust is the one that, uh, you know, can make a determination what to do with the properties in the interim. So we'd ask for them to hold off on that and, you know, let them know of our interest. We're back with more with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. Let's uh, continue on. Mayor, we have talked about this uh, a lot in uh, recent weeks and months, and the city council did ultimately enact uh, an ordinance on uh, pedestrians at these very busy intersections. But since that was enacted, uh, a couple of the aldermen complained they don't really see anything changing. Now, you were pretty adamant you wanted police to just go in and start moving people out of there because it's a safety issue. But the last time we heard from Chief Ken Scarlett on this, he said, in effect, you know, we're, we're talking to and we're trying to get them to move on. Writing citations doesn't necessarily do any good because they may not have any money to pay for it. So so what's going on? Are we really making an impact and really moving people out of these areas where they could be posing a danger to themselves and others? Yes, yeah, uh, much as possible on the median areas. That's the uh, big misnomer is, you know, I think one of the areas people talk about is 6th South Grand. Uh, 
well, that's not a median area that's covered, I don't believe. Uh, so those are, if they do encroach the roadway, uh, it doesn't matter what street it's on, that's not allowed. So it's almost, you have to catch them in the act. You know, if they're just standing out there with their sign uh, on the other streets where people are at, you have to wait till you're, they're caught in the act and then, you know, tell them uh, to move on and uh, go that direction. Otherwise, it impedes more on the uh, freedom of speech aspect. But on the medians and things of that nature and the higher traffic to areas, that's where, you know, they are trying to make that uh, concerted effort to move them on uh, regardless. And so that's, uh, you know, because it is a safety. For me, it's always, it doesn't matter what intersection. I don't care what the traffic patterns are. Personally, I always felt it's a dangerous situation. We had a individual that was killed over there on MacArthur and, uh, you know, jumped out in traffic. And someone said, well, he wasn't uh, panhandling. I said, no, but he had a comfort level of hanging out. There's times where he had done that. And so uh, that's where we want to make sure people understand that those are uh, dangerous times where you can distract drivers and we don't want that happening. And individuals can get hurt or ultimately killed, unfortunately. Another issue related to the police department, and Chief Scarlett mentioned this the last time he gave a full presentation to the city council, uh, talking about trying to move the department away from these 12-hour shifts. Now, this is something that your announced opponent in next year's mayoral election has talked about that uh, she's concerned about and wants to see change. So how quickly might we see a, a change in that scheduling so officers are not having to work uh, uh, 12-hour shifts? Well, way back when, uh, actually, I believe in previous contracts, uh, the uh, union thought at some point in time, I mean, this is probably years ago, uh, they'd like to try 12-hour shifts, but the pandemic kind of forced this upon us. You know, there weren't training academies, so uh, we weren't able to keep up with the hiring um, expectations to uh, make that happen. But, you know, kudos to the police department. They stepped up. Uh, they did what was asked. They went to the 12-hour shifts, and, it, you know, we could filter that out. So it will be a hybrid model going into the future. It's my understanding younger officers tend to like it. Uh, some that, you know, have families, it's uh, they tend not to. So so uh, what's that proper blend? But we are bringing in, we just brought in 13 uh, new officers uh, this past uh week or so and then uh, there's another class uh, that we're hiring for and so um, it's my understanding once that comes in uh, then we'd be in a better position and again it depends on if there's any individuals that leave the department in the meantime uh, we'd be in a better position to do a hybrid model where you know we'd hopefully have individuals that want to work 12 can continue to do so those that don't uh, wouldn't necessarily have to uh, we've traditionally had this uh, situation of, of shift change you know, mm -hmm. you know and all the shifts are changing all at once uh, years and years ago I had a break-in at my house and it seemed like it took forever for police to arrive because it, it we called in right at the shift change so would those days be gone then if you have a situation Situation where you've got some officers working 12-hour shifts, some working eight-hour shifts, and basically you're going to have that kind of overlap? Yeah, I think it uh, it does lend to better operation. I think on the 12-hour uh, shift definitely did. We had better coverage at times where, um, you know, uh, previously under the other shift arrangement, we did not. So it does have some benefit to that. But again, the hybrid, I think it helps on multiple facets, that being one of them with regards to overlap. Uh, the other side of it is, uh, you know, having individuals 
just kind of uh, have the flexibility to work the type of shift that they would like. But again, it goes back to uh, you know work uh, workforce uh, and what we can attract, and that's a challenge for everybody. But uh, Chief Scarlett's done a great job, you know, continuing the efforts of uh, uh, Chief Winslow and moving that direction. But it is very challenging, especially when you have the state of Illinois pilfering, um, you know, officers from just not Springfield cities throughout the state. I always felt the state of Illinois should attract uh, officers from outside the state, bring additional resources, because what they're doing is uh, really hindering the local um, law enforcement and uh, for their benefit. And if they're going to do that, I'm a firm believer that they should provide us retribution for that because we've trained our officers. We've expended tens of thousands of dollars in training, uh, and depends how seasoned they are. Uh, we should get some type of uh, uh, retribution uh, with regards to their recruitment efforts of uh, the uh, the ones on the streets protecting our local cities throughout the state. How, how many officers have we lost to the state? Are, are they going to, to conservation? They go to Secretary of State. Where are they going? Uh, state police. Uh, d- yeah, so yeah they made an announcement that you know that they uh, allocated so many dollars to go towards state police. You know to buffer that, which is great. But I'd like to see them try to attract individuals from the outside the state to move in that direction instead of pilfering from the local levels. Do you know how many officers we've lost? to Illinois State Police? Chief Scarlett would be better. I think uh, uh, he'd be better off. Uh, he could answer that question. I'm not sure the exact number. Uh, another issue in recent weeks has been this debate before the city council related to uh, uh, cannabis craft grow operations mm-hmm. and whether they would be allowed in industrial areas that may be closer than what the current setbacks would provide uh, as it pertains to uh, to schools or, or daycares and things. Uh, and you, uh, after the alderman decided not to uh, send a formal request to planning and zone, for uh, a a suggestion on that. You've decided to go on your own to ask them on that. Have you made that formal request, and where do we stand with that? Yeah, actually, that was with City Council Encouragement. They didn't want to take that vote. They they didn't want to do it. They just wanted you to do it. (laughs) That's right, and they said, well, you can go get the opinion, and Corporation Council said, yeah, we could ask, uh, you know, planning, uh, the planning commission staff to make a recommendation. So that's what we've asked. Uh, we've met with Molly Burns and uh, per the city council's desire and asked them to take a look at it, make a recommendation. And really, if you rewind the clock to when we first started with the cannabis, I always thought cannabis uh, sales should happen in industrial areas. That's it. But the uh, council members wanted it more um, available, and so that's why they kind of watered it down to the business areas. That's why you see it in business areas that, uh, um, you know, I thought if someone wanted it, they could go to an industrial area that's not, you know, in front of everybody that didn't want to deal with that. Uh, but it is what it is now. So really, the industrial areas, I know they, everybody focuses on the setbacks. Right now, in an industrial area, it's zero setback. So you could put any type of heavy industrial, the most intensive industrial, uh, an asphalt plant or anything of that nature, no setback requirement. So that's where the setbacks came from. But right now, all the industrial areas are kind of ruled out of the craft grow. And uh, it's kind of a head scratcher when you look at it. So uh, they'll do, regional plan is going to look at uh, what's happening in other parts of the state and make a recommendation of what makes sense in the industrial areas. With regards to setbacks throughout the city, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not. Uh, we'll we'll have to debate that because some say, oh, we should make it a thousand instead of the twenty five hundred uh, uh, foot requirement. So I'm not sold on that part of it. Uh, I always felt it should be in the industrial areas, but when we're talking other areas of the business sections, that's where you could have a wide. Uh, 
um, I guess a lot of uh, pop-up areas that wouldn't be on the map right now that would be in your strip mall areas where you have the theater out west or wherever the case may be where people initially didn't want it. So that'll be a, a different discussion altogether. Have you uh, gotten any indication from planning and zoning when you expect to get their recommendation on this? Well, hopefully it wouldn't take too long. I would think within the 60 days, 30 to 60 days. And as far as the fact that, and again, these would be cannabis grow operations. There right. wouldn't be retail sales. wouldn't be right. open to the public to come in. But in the situation of the dispensaries, which and you trucking, it's not you know retail. It's more you're trucking it out to right. wherever to the retail right. sales spots. Right. And then it can be prepped for you know whatever it's going right. to be used for. But as far as the, the dispensaries themselves, the retail, which you indicated you would have preferred to see it left to industrial zones, but they're in business zoned right. areas. Has there been a problem? I mean, have we had any? problem from the dispensaries, the several of them that we have now in the area? Well, the only one uh, that I hear from is the downtown one. And, um, you know, so that's the one because uh, people hanging out outside and, uh, you know, panhandling individuals for, you know, uh, uh, the product or, you know, money. And uh, so that's where we saw the escalation of that happening. And uh, some of the business owners have expressed uh, concern about that and frustration about that and feel it shouldn't be there. Do we have any more problems with that than we do with downtown bars? Uh, well, it's a different level. I think, uh, you know, downtown bars are at nighttime is when you see that activity where most people are in bed. Uh, this is, you know, during the day when you have tourism and everything else. Just a couple of last things to ask Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder about this afternoon here on 92.7 WMAY. Uh, Mayor, of course, the city every year uh, puts together a uh, household hazardous waste collection event, uh, partnered with the state of Illinois, but the state has had to postpone all of those this fall because the facility where that stuff's usually taken for disposal is out of commission because of a fire there. Uh, And we were told by your office the city's put out a request for proposal to try to find another vendor who can help with that. Uh, Any up Dates and then getting a response uh, from it, and is there still a chance we could have a uh, hazardous household waste collection event this fall in Springfield? We're efforting to that. I did ask what the cost would be, and um, you know it, it can range up to seventy thousand dollars or so. Of course, it depends on how much you collect, uh, but we would like to do it because it is very popular. Um, you know, and uh, that's a better way to give people the avenue to dispose of it instead of you know people might throw it in the trash or whatever the case may be. So we will do whatever we can to make that happen, and hopefully uh, the state will partner and possibly help offset that cost if at all possible. Uh, Finally, I want to talk a little bit of politics here this afternoon. We're going to be getting close to the time where we're starting to see people circulating petitions. Uh, you have announced you are running for re-election. You have an opponent in this race as well. I'm curious, uh, though, are you going to be uh, uh, backing anybody or making any endorsements in the other citywide races for treasurer? We know that there will be uh, the current deputy treasurer is running for that uh, spot. Uh, it, she's aligned with the uh, current incumbent treasurer who is going to be your opponent. Uh, the city clerk, are you going to get involved in those races at all? Uh, I think time will tell on that. I think, uh, you know, what's uh, interesting is I think what's going to come to the forefront is people's actions. And are they genuine? Have they really uh, did what's in the best interest of the city? And so that's the direction I've always, that's been my barometer, and that's what I intend to move. Uh, What's very interesting now is you have individual elected officials jumping out, endorsing people all of a sudden. And typically that hadn't been the case. Uh, But I am concerned, uh, and it's shown 
shown this this administration and the council had shown uh, where the votes do matter, and they've used it at times to um, kind of uh, been a barrier to development, uh, you know, and moving in that direction, which is very concerning. So, as mayor, you'd want to make sure that that doesn't happen moving forward, because uh, there are some projects that should have went forward, I believe, that didn't, and it set us back. But we'll overcome that and move forward in, in a prog- uh, positive manner. You think they've been a barrier for political reasons just to make you not look good? Well, I think uh, they you'd have to ask the individuals that make particular votes, but a lot of that discussion is going to come to the forefront, and that's what I'm looking forward to is having the debates, having the discussions and, you know, uh, you know, talking about the township and the importance of that versus, you know, giving property tax relief and uh, so it's going to be a very uh, interesting time, uh, but also a way that we can move forward and finally uh, move to the level that everybody expects Springfield to be at. Are you going to recruit people for uh, aldermanic races and some of the uh, current aldermen are, are- coming out against you and, and for your opponent? Do you want to try to get some more friendly aldermen on the uh, city council? Well, what we want is aldermen that really take a look at the aldermen and women that look at the issues uh, for, you know, base it on, uh, you know, their... Uh, really the evidence or really what uh, uh, use that as a barometer and not necessarily influence uh, from other uh, variables. That didn't answer my question. Are you going to recruit people oh, to run for oh, city council? Oh, that was the question. Yeah. <laughs> I have had individuals that ask me about uh, running, and I encourage everybody to run, you know, that uh, would like to. I think that's important to give the public a, um, you know, a choice in the matter.